Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey guys, this episode of the Wingman Podcast is brought to you by Leupold Optics. And I've been running the Leupold Performance Eyewear, aka the sunglasses, for, man, about two years now. And I've worn a lot of brands of eyewear over the years, obviously as a hunter and a shooter, but also as a fly fishing guide and someone who just spends a lot of time in the outdoors. And I was super impressed right out of the gate with the Leupold Performance Eyewear. I like the switchback frame the best. I've got a couple different lens colors in that. I've got like an amber lens and a a gray lens or a smoke lens for bright conditions. And the amber is kind of my all around. I, I find myself wearing that lens all the time. I really like the contrast that that lens provides. I've worn all kinds of different sunglasses from every top brand out there. And the Leupold Performance Eyewear is number one, hands down for me. If if you you guys got to check them out, you can go on Leupold.com and look at all the different styles and offerings. And I just I, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, they they have a fit uh, module on there. You can actually like superimpose. I don't know. This is crazy space age technology where they can superimpose that frame over your face. You can kind of see what it looks like. At least they used to have that. I think they still do. But my point is this, Leupold Performance Eyewear helps me perform in all kinds of conditions in the field. They help, those sunglasses help cut glare in those, especially, you know, those times when you're setting up and for a waterfowl hunt, especially and the wind's perfect, and the only way that you can set up correctly with the wind is you're, you're either maybe not looking directly into the sun, but you're looking kind of crosswise, and it's right in your eyes. It's really hard to, to pick out shots. It's really hard to pick out birds in those scenarios, and a good quality eye sunglasses, good quality pair of sunglasses helps mitigate that, and the Leupold performance eyewear ones that especially man that in those situations for me I like that amber lens it cuts the glare cuts the shine just enough with and still lets me have great color pop so I can tell drakes from hens in in those situations I can tell roosters from hens if I'm pheasant hunting I don't know how many times pheasant hunting in early morning or evening and a bird gets up right into the sun and you know, you're, you're practically blinded. And with those performance eyewear from Leupold, it just helps me make a difference. So if you're in the market for a new pair of sunglasses, man, I would highly, highly recommend the Leupold performance eyewear. Check them out at leupold.com and uh, give me some feedback too. Let, let me know what you think. If you try a pair, I think you're going to be really pleased. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Wingmen Podcast. We are out here at The Outfit in Enid, Oklahoma. The Outfit, Oklahoma. And I'm with Shane Llewellyn. Shane is the owner-operator of uh, The Outfit, Oklahoma. And we came out to chase some cranes. Which, a bit of everything. Yeah. I think tomorrow we're going to maybe find some ducks geese. Ducks or geese. We have ducks and geese. So yeah. So you guys do everything here, right? Yeah. Pretty much. It's got web, web feet. We're definitely chasing it. And then uh, really got going on the cranes the last couple of years. So, and that's turned out to be a hell of a deal. So, the amazingly 
difficult to hunt this time of year, which I found out the last two mornings. Yep, yep. See, a lot of times there's not too many birds here. They've moved down to Texas by now. Um, but, you know, we got with, the, with how warm it's been and all that, we got a lot of them wintering here. So we've been chasing throughout the whole season. And yeah, you're right. They're smart. Well, this morning was <laughs> insane. It was like we're sit, we get set up a lot like you do for, for, for geese. You know, we're, we're set up in a, in a, along a brushy edge row, basically. Feed out in front of us, got the decoys set. They come up off the roost quite a ways away, and they're just, you know, they're crane, so they're super loud. But I don't, I think we had that one land. Yeah. And that was the closest bird we had by far. Right, right. And then, you know, you never know what they're seeing on the hide or with the decoys glaring or what's going on. You know, when you watch the one we saw just dump in from the heavens. Yeah, he's like <laughs> spiraling. I'm, I'm watching birds over on my left, and all of a sudden I kind of catch movement, and I hear something, and I look, and he's spiraling down. Yep. And I'm No like, hesitation ooh, at ooh. all. No, he and didn't it, even look twice. Just yep. boop, and he's in the decoys, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to let him land, and he'll suck in a bunch more. Right. No. No. Exactly. Yeah, early season, that for sure would, was what would happen, you know, but... uh Something about it. I don't know what the rest were seeing that he didn't, you know. So I was I was looking at them, you know, as they fly over in their their heads, or you can just see their necks on those big long necks. You know, they're just looking. All it's over crazy the about place. a crane too. Is I've noticed they can look behind them while they fly. Yes, forward. their heads turn completely of them yeah. like this. <laughs> straight up, look straight behind them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, crazy, crazy bird. But uh, we ate. Shot one yesterday, we shot six yesterday, and ate one of them last night, and holy smokes, you know, I, I was expecting, I cooked it the same way I would cook goose breast or a duck breast, kind of like a steak, Yeah. and well, I didn't cook it, you're, is it clay? Clay. I think clay yeah. is your cook, oh, and yeah. he's like, I'll do it for you, because I was planning on doing it, and he just whipped it up, and I was like, that's exceptional. It literally like lean beef. Yep, exactly. I always tell people, they always ask how you want to cook it. So they do whatever you do to a deer backstrap is what I tell yeah. them. You know? I mean, it's, you know, get some of the blood off and some of the, trim it up a little bit. And you don't need to marinate it all for multiple days like you would something else. You uh -uh. get after it. Yeah, it was, it was literally just clean, phenomenal tasting meat. You would have sworn if you didn't know what it was, I think you could totally pass that off for like lean beef or yeah, like you said. It's definitely not like a, any bird. Venison bird. Bags. No. no. <laughs> not texture-wise, anything. Nothing. Red blood, it has red blood when you cut it. You yeah. Know I mean, it's like bloody, like beef. Yeah, it's like a steak. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I wish, I wish there were more of them around. I wish we were getting in them better because I'd, I'd take a cooler of that stuff home. You know, that stuff, yeah. it's so good. But, um, we did get some birds this morning, so we got more more meat to take home, which was cool. And when you when I walked in here, I didn't know what I was getting into, you know, as far as crane hunt or anything. I'd never done it before. And you're like, oh yeah, it's no, you go do this, and got birds. So it was like perfect, awesome. But <coughs> you have fit us in around a full schedule. You guys are like booked. Yeah. Solid. Yes, sir. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. Constant going. Like we get here in the morning and you guys are. Yeah. Just in and out. Yeah. Has, has it been that way? Has that been a pickup since COVID or are you like that pretty much um, solid? 
Well, the last two years we've been pretty well booked up. But COVID definitely helped, I think, the out, outdoor uh, services industry, I guess, the guiding and, and the outfitting and stuff. You know, everyone wants to get outside. Um, everyone got, you know, had to cancel all their other stuff. You know, some people might get together and go to concerts, might do any of that. Well, all concerts have been changed up. Yeah. Everything's been switched up. So people got extra vacation time, it seems like. And we're hunting, you know. Obviously, there's plenty of social distancing has always been accepted as that. So it seems like a lot of people, you know. And last year, I almost had no cancellations while COVID was kicking off, right? It's kind of strange. And then this year, I've had more COVID cancellations than I did last year. That's wild. You know, yeah. I wouldn't think you'd have any this time of year. Yeah. It's funny, too, because I'd, I'd never been to Oklahoma before, and I was... I'm not concerned about COVID restrictions or whatever, but it's yeah. interesting to notice how people are reacting. Yeah, we pretend like it doesn't exist at That's all. That's the same with Wyoming. <laughs> it was literally like I'm walking around yep. the other day and get my license and stuff. Nobody's wearing masks. Nobody's, you know, acting any different. And I was like, this is just like, just like Wyoming. Right. And you go to Jackson and it's a little different than Jackson. It was, but... Whatever, it's Jackson. Yeah, that was a culture shock on that end, too, is when we went to Canada this year, which we finally got to go. Um, so you guys have a, you guys have another The Outfit in yep. Canada? Yep, we call it The Outfit 306, which okay. is the uh, area code for Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do Saskatchewan, but the Canadian government will not let you use a province name or the word Canada in a privately owned business. So it was the outfit Saskatchewan, but now it's the outfit 306. Yeah, I think it works. <laughs> oh, yeah, it works fine. But I just, you know. Anyways, we went up there. You couldn't buy a cheeseburger. You couldn't go get groceries if you, unless you went to a small town. You know, you went to found a Walmart or a bigger grocery store. They wouldn't let you go if you didn't have a fax card and a mask and all that, you know. Wow. So going from Oklahoma to that was a big difference, you know, because we never required masks. It was never required. There was a period where it was really going where everyone wore masks, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would I would imagine that would be that would be crazy. But so you guys do you, you probably start up there I'm thinking what, September? Yeah, season starts in September. So if it's a I'm in the southern very southern edge of, of Saskatchewan, so we're kinda of the last you know, I'm damn near in North Dakota, you know, and uh, so we're kinda of the last place. So I would say after more experience and over the years, we, we're going to go up there the middle of September to basically Halloween. Sure. And then we'll come right back here, and that's when grand season starts here. And so we'll start, just roll it over here. Um, we went a few years ago when it was exceptionally cold, exceptionally cold that season, and the hunting was fantastic, like the 9th of September. Mm -hmm. This year, it was just so warm, it was, there was almost no bird, bird movement. You know, you're hunting the locals and stuff all the way the last weekend of September. Before you saw... You know, so if I would have, you know, COVID didn't allow us to have a full booked season anyways, but we would have been hurting the first half. Okay. You know, if we were booked up. So I think what I'm gonna do from now on is September 20th to Halloween. Okay. Is when we'll try to book people, I think. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. That that's, sounds like a pretty good time for me, you know, yes. if I was gonna go, so. Oh, it's unbelievable. Oh, good for you. I Yeah, I've heard I've never, never done it. Never been up there. Seems like there's always other stuff going on in the fall that keeps you busy. But I, I like that you guys have options. 
you know, you can yeah. say, you talk to a client and say, well, these, this is what we offer in Oklahoma, but if that doesn't work for you, man, we've got some exceptional hunting in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Oh, really? Right. September's free for me, I'll you know, jump all yeah. over that. <coughs> funny how that works, but. So Harrison, the cameraman that set all this up, knows you and has kind of worked with you guys a little bit. We pulled up, he's giving me directions about how to get here the other day, Sun Sunday afternoon. We come up out here to meet everybody, we pull up to the corner, and he's like, oh, did I tell you that the lodge has a cemetery? And I was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> and we're right here at the corner, yep. next to this great big Lutheran church. And he's like, yeah, take a left. And I start to get on the accelerator. He's like, whoa, 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 we're here. What? I look over, and this lodge is old Lutheran church out in the country. Yeah, 121 years old now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty unique, and uh, I'm pretty. Well, we were pretty fired up being able to buy it and have the opportunity to buy it. Really, it just works with the community. We were already involved in the community and hunting here, and it just popped up right next door. You know, and. Uh, I always, you know, everyone wants to build a lodge and doesn't know how they want to do it. And the most economical way is usually to build a barn dominion. Right. Um, and all this. And you, so you go through that, but it doesn't, add, it doesn't add that extra factor or the unique factor when you do that. And so, you know, I was pencil to paper trying to figure out how to do that. And then this popped up just like a sign, right? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, like it was meant to be. And just the layout of the lodge is unbelievable. For, for hunting lodge, the layout of the church, I guess I should say, is, is perfect. And uh, I think it's even more unique and makes it more special to carry on. So You've got to get some comments on that when people roll up and they've never been here before and they're like, hey, what? Yeah. Staying in a church? <laughs> right. Yeah. Some people, yeah, it surprises them. Everyone, really. So. And it was, was it, so you see this, this great big room here and you got a big kitchen over here, hallway full of Kind of an L-shaped hallway with actually it's U-shaped, isn't it? Was around. Is it, it kind of wraps all wraps, around. Yeah. yeah. And there's rooms. You got rooms in there, and each one is remodeled and decorated. And we and we filmed before when we first got here. We did a walkthrough and we looked at everything and filmed everything. And then through those doors is the sanctuary. Yes. Yep. And you're working. That's a work in progress. Yep. Still finishing that up. Um, it's got a pool table and stuff. Now we're just kind of treating it like this, the garage or hangout room. Sure. Um, but yeah, so we, we renovated the meat and, meat and potatoes part of the, of the lodge to get the bathrooms going. Because we had to gut everything. When yeah. we got it, there was no insulation in the walls. Lath and plaster. Um, I think we hauled off 42,000 pounds worth of stuff that we tore off the walls in dumpsters, roll off dumpsters. In, wow. The first month or so. That's a lot of work. Um, and then, you know, as we were wrapping around, I could have had to put a new roof on part of it, had a caved-in ceiling, you know. Um, and so once we got all that done, we ran out of time, and then COVID hit, and everyone knows how expensive everything got. And you couldn't to, get stuff. Couldn't get anything. Right. And so that's why the sanctuary is not finished yet. Um, and so we're trying to figure out the layout of that, whether we want to add a bathroom or keep the beautiful stained glass windows or how many of them we're going to keep and things like that. But, uh, yeah, hopefully add another bathroom, another bedroom. Keep that like as a rec room. A rec room, exactly. Yeah. That's a good name for it. Yeah. <coughs> I think that's a great idea. It's just such a unique piece 
and you put the big sliding doors on. Yeah. Your wife was telling, well, you both were telling a story. This, those doors are famous. You guys are famous. <laughs> yeah. Quotation mark. Yeah. Famous. Yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us that. Because I laughed when you said that, man. Yeah. My so my my wife, she's kind of a DIY kind of girl. Um, she she's more handy with building cabinets or doing any of that than I am. Honestly, it's pretty funny. But. Uh, so she had this idea to build these extensive barn doors, and you know we were getting prices on them, and they were fifteen hundred dollars a piece. We need three of them. And trying to figure out, you know, that's not really worth it. And she just says, "Well, we can make this." And so it's funny. She, instead of me talking her into helping me, yeah. that, she does. You know, she's like, "We can do this." Da, da, da. Okay, whatever. Follow her lead, and um, so she's got this TikTok that's grown just gradually from all her little projects that she's done. Um, and, and you know, there's different segments of TikTok, whatever. This would just be the DIY home improvements, you know, area of sure. for you page or whatever. And so she gradually grew that. Then we started redoing this, so she started videoing and doing time lapses of all the gutting of the church and everything. Well, that exploded, and uh, you know, I think she's got a million followers. Holy on, smokes! On TikTok, yeah. And uh, you know, they were using. Us making those doors was on uh, advertisement for TV advertisement for TikTok. And you said it played on the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. The TikTok ad <laughs> on the Super Bowl and your stuff is, is yeah. there. Yeah. It's like a 30 second ad in the first five minutes and then the first five seconds and then another little clip of us, you know, doing time awesome. building those doors. So. You're like the Chip and Joanna games of the hunting world. Right. Right. No, oh, that's hilarious. So I thought that story was great. And I'm glad you. I'm glad you shared it because it's, it's it adds more uniqueness to this place. Because yeah. you walk in, this is not your run-of-the-mill hunting lodge. And you walk in, you're like, wow, this is really cool. And the fact that like you kept the old ceiling, you kept all this stuff. Yeah, original floor, just, original ceiling. Yeah, I mean the way the night we were here, there's nine dogs or eight dogs in here running around and yep. you know it's like it's perfect it's what a hunting lodge should be you know yep yes sir oh that's so cool that is so cool but so that's i mean that's the outfit oklahoma that's the outfit 306 you know that's you guys but what about what about your story i mean did you grow up a hunter you always been a hunter did you get into it later How, yep. and, and what took you to guiding well, it's it's a very long story. Um, like Let's I'm hear it. Multiple episodes, probably, to get in details. But so my family, my dad always took me. High. I shot my first duck when I was six, and so hunting. We were, you know we were super intense baseball players, very competitive, playing for multiple teams. And I practiced baseball. You know when we do something, you just do it very intensely. And so I learned that through baseball, while at the same time marrying baseball, hunting season's not during the off season of baseball. So we did baseball nine months of the year, and we hunted our ass off the other three months of the sure. year. Sure. Since I was six. I mean, I had to beg my dad, give me the gun, I'm ready to shoot when I was six. You know? Everyone else wait until they're eight or 10 or whatever. Right. You know? Hell, I, you know, I wasn't going to wait for that. So he started giving me my single shot 410, and he'd load it. I wasn't even strong enough to break it open to, to reload the thing. So I'd go run off, shoot it, come back, and he'd give me one more shell of it. Um, so we started doing that then and started duck hunting it was literally the first thing I started um, he had a very good friend who has an outfitter in the panhandle of Oklahoma and Texas 
and they have a unique lodge and everything, and that's probably where I learned a lot. That's where that is exactly where I learned a lot of um, what I'm gonna, how do I apply, and, and how do I move forward with outfitting, and ways to make it unique. Um, you know, I learned. Fortunately, being involved and in being around an outfitter my whole life, I learned, you know, you can either be, you can either shoot the most or this and that, but you can also be the most unique and make it almost feel like your client's hunting lodge. I mean, they come back year to year anyways, ideally, right? You don't want to be hunting for new people. You want as many repeat clients as you can to let you know you're doing it right and all that. And so if you are showing you're doing improvements and you're, sh and you're making it unique, then you're not necessarily even competing with everyone else, right? Because <laughs> you have the you're the only one with that. Um, and so, back to this outfitting story. So they do quail and, and upland hunting, and they have 30 bird dogs had for 50 years. Wow. Um, and my grandpa's not blood relation, but he's I call him my grandpa. Um, and so that whole family started all that. So anytime, I mean, my dad would pull me out of school early, and we'd haul ass to the panhandle and deer hunt and help stay at the lodge with the guys and this and that. And then as my dad's buddy got older, his kids took it over, his boys. This is about the same time I was 16, 17 years old, could drive myself. So I started driving out every weekend I could, um, spend the summer out there working on their farms and stuff, um, trying to be a part of it as much as I could. Because um, I lived three and a half hours away from it. Sure. And uh, actually went to school out there, moved out there for a year and lived in the basement of this hunting lodge. Wow. Made the, you know, made the coffee in the morning, made the fires, all that stuff. My parents let me do that, which is amazing of them. That is amazing. You know, you, yeah. If I think about just letting your 15 year old move mm -hmm. out to a hunting lodge for a year. Yeah. <laughs> goes, yeah. You're going to go to school. <laughs> yeah. Wink, wink. Yeah. You're going to get an education, but it ain't going to be no books. <laughs> right. So yeah, <coughs> pretty unbelievable opportunity there. And then, um, so as soon as I turned 16, 18, I started helping the boys. Um, run that's called the last buffalo. So we did turkey deer and upland hunting. You know, we hunted 100 days of the year very intense um, They you know, we run quail feeders and taking care of 30 dogs takes an hour and a half two oh, hours yeah. every day. Oh, too. yeah. Uh, so then training dogs too and this in, in between and uh, Did that with them and knew my whole life, you know I knew as a young age that this is what I wanted to do, just like every kid wants to be an NFL star too or, or something, right? Sure. Um, but then as I got older, I kind of realized that it could be a reality. So I worked from there from 18 to probably 25, 24-ish. They were having babies and downsizing and not necessarily going as hard. And so I took that opportunity to come to Enid, Oklahoma with a few very few people I, I knew connections here and started the outfit. Uh, wow. I took a, a lean against, took a lean against my truck um, to get my first goose trailer and, and spread. Um, and was running out of a hundred year old house for a couple years by myself. And then I had another buddy come on and, and uh, you know, I had clientele base already built up from working at the other lodge. So I had somewhere to start. I couldn't right. imagine doing this and not, I mean, I had 30 clients to start real clients, I mean, legitimate sure. guys that have come from out of state and stuff and, and stay for multiple days. And so, you know, I had a somewhat of a start and just grinded it out, you know. Um, took, you know, next year, next year I paid off the trailer and decoys, bought more, of course, you always need more of those. And then, you know, next year I realized I need a ranger. You know, you're pissing these farmers off driving through their fields or, you know, you have to carry stuff out. 
You can't. You, the outfit. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna make clients carry decoys into a field. So the next thing I had to do is buy one of these twenty-five thousand dollar Polaris's. You know, it's another another lean or whatever we got to do. Private loan, anything. You know, and get that done, and then just piece by piece put it together. You know. Well, it's quite the deal. I mean, I pull in here and you got three or four enclosed trailers, and you know they're. Probably ones for cranes. I probably get that's another one's got geese and yeah. you know however you got them set up. And there's a there's a big storage uh, thing out there for for stuff. Yeah. You know, you you've got everything dialed. You've got everything. Some you're gonna be able to handle any hunt that somebody wants to do or that you run across. There's no doubt about that. You know, we had nine 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 guys. Were, I'm yeah. not sure how many guys we had, but. And everybody was hidden. Everybody was comfortable. Everybody was safe, taken care of. Yeah. You know, the the fact that you could start with thirty, you know, you had thirty-ish, however many clients you had. I've wondered the same thing. You know, you look at how how guys get started, especially if they're young, and they're grinding it out. And it's like, I can't imagine how difficult that would be to build an outfit from nothing. Yeah. Building trust. Yeah. Building the trust is the thing. <coughs> people, and, you, and as an outfitter or guide, you can't take that for granted because you have to realize people are taking off work, getting on an airplane, flying here with their buddies. You know, you know, you get one guy, he's got to call his buddies and convince them. This and, that's, and that's where that trust thing, and people have been burned so many times with bad outfitters that it's, you know, once you get the trust, that ball starts rolling. Now I got more people calling than I can take home. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, I think you picked up probably four or five more guys the other morning. You know, yesterday morning. Yeah. Because <laughs> those guys got burned by an outfitter. Yeah. Playing damage control and another yeah. outfitters. Yeah. And you trip. were good enough to pick them up and take them out. And I think each one of those guys got a bird yesterday. Yeah. And they were over. Yeah, the, they, they were, were over the moon. Yeah. They got. They got. They were here to shoot cranes and unfortunately didn't get to and. You know, it wasn't the best crane hunt in the world, but they did shoot their cranes, you know. We all didn't limit out, but they got them. And then the other half, we took them on a goose hunt, and they were very appreciative, because 24 hours before that goose hunt, I had no idea I was going to have 11, yeah. 11 more clients, you know, the next day, so. Well, that's pretty amazing, because I think a lot of folks would say, no, sorry guys, we're, I can't help you, we're full. Yeah. But you went the extra mile and helped them out, and you, I mean, those dudes were, when, when the crane guys left yesterday morning, they were on cloud nine. Like I, the vehicle floated out of the field, you know. Perfect. Yeah, they were. You made their you made their their vacation. That was for sure. Good. And I think that's crazy too because I think an outfitter can make or break somebody's experience. Even if the hunting's good, if your outfitter's lousy, yeah, you can. Hey, that's not. That's not gonna. That's not gonna work. And vice versa. If the hunting's not great, but you have great amenities, good food, congenial people to spend time around, and you have a good time outside of the hunting, yeah. I, I think both those things can happen. Yep. You know, control what you can control. And everyone says you can't control the birds and this and that. And that's the hardest thing I grasp. I mean, I know I can't get the birds in Oklahoma, but I know there's some in Oklahoma, so I hold myself accountable to find them some way or another. There is a hunt somewhere. It just depends how far you want to drive or what you got to do to get on it. But uh, 
That's that. You can control what you can control. The lodging, the food, your attitude, the experience, and uh, be helpful. You know, and you can't can't be tired. <laughs> can't be tired. That's easier said than done. You guys run on very little sleep. That's for sure. So to cranes, because I mean that was the big thing when when we started putting this thing together. And we were talking the other night, and you were telling me some things about cranes that I don't think a lot of people understand about them. You know, they see them, if they're fortunate enough to have them at all where they live, they see this big, loud, obnoxious, beautiful bird. Yeah. And they think, oh, what's a, look at that, look at that crane. Yeah, right. You know, and I hear it too. It's a, Look at that crane. And he's like, no, that's a blue heron. That's a blue heron. That's not a crane. That's not a crane. (laughs) But you were telling me some stuff about cranes that make them super unique. Yeah. Like, they're not, they're they're not, they're migratory bird, but they're not waterfowl. Right. Yeah. um, You know, if you handle birds a lot, I know from just training dogs and things like that, you know, but they don't have waterproof feathers. They feel like a pigeon in your hand. They're almost dusty. Um, you know, that's exactly what I thought when I picked that first yeah. one up yesterday. I'm like, this is like a giant pigeon. Right. It's the way they feel. Yeah, and 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 so and they have to be on water like waterfowl, so they follow all the same, you know, daily routines as any as waterfowl does. But they don't even ever put their butt in the water. You know, there's so it's got to be a very unique roosting and loafing situation, um, shallow water. They have a thing for salt. That's pretty obvious, I think, because um, they're they. I mean, they the river they sleep on where we hunt them is high salinity compared to other places, and um, it. Hold on. Yes, it pause. So we just got interrupted by a couple of dudes from Texarkana, and they were looking for you. Yeah. Probably want probably want to go hunting. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming that that one guy when he walks out, he goes. Well, now I can tell my wife that I was in church. <laughs> I bet you get a lot of quips about church and yeah. coming to a hunting camp and drinking in a church. Yeah, some people don't like to, you know, they're a little little whiffy about drinking in a church in the afternoons, you know, or in, in the nighttime, I should say. But uh, it's pretty funny. When we were re- renovating this place, we, you know, had it all gutted. We're all covered in dirt. And we're sitting in one of these random Sunday school rooms that's now a bedroom and sitting around the ground having a beer and the old preacher you know this would have been a month or two after we bought it and mm-hmm. the old preacher just comes in is looking around and you know he's dressed up and I don't remember what day of the week it was honestly but uh, he comes in and, and, and he just kind of wanted to see what we were doing and just talk to us and I told him I said hey you know sorry sorry we were drinking and all you know I didn't, you know didn't really and he, he cut me off and said well he goes, we're Lutherans. <laughs> he said, drinking's fine, just don't bring any strippers. <laughs> <laughs> don't bring any strippers. <laughs> oh, so, man. So we have, the, we have the blessing from the preacher, so. Just no don't, strippers. Don't worry about the drinking. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that right there, that is a, that's a pretty chill dude. If yeah. you can come up with something like that. <laughs> no strippers. I love it. There should be a sign on the door. I think it's fine. There's no strippers. <laughs> oh, jeez. We were talking about cranes and the uniqueness of them. 
And I think those guys walked in about the time you were talking about even they like salt. Yeah. So it seems, you know, and I'm not a biologist or anything, obviously, and I'm sure this might be common knowledge to other people, but, you know, it's obvious that they like salt water of some sort. Um, they go to the Great Salt Plains in Oklahoma. That's our biggest congregation of them. And, uh, you know, they bounce down to the river we're on, which is a higher salinity than, than other rivers. And it's not salt water. Uh, right, but it's, it does have a higher salinity, and there's little salt creeks that run into this that have white banks and everything. I mean, hell, they call them the salt creek, and uh, you know, weird kind of weird habitats. Um, and then they got to be in shallow water, so you know, to really attract big numbers of cranes, you need lots of acreage of shallow, salty water. Well, that's a pretty damn unique situation. Yeah, I mean, they live in Florida and they live in a lot of other places, but they either need mar marshes. And hell, they might be on salt marshes in Florida. I have no idea, you know. But they definitely favor salt, salt water. Uh, we stopped yesterday and looked at the river, and your guide Gage was kind of explaining some stuff about it. And it makes sense once I saw that and where those birds were roosting, what they're coming off of, to where we were hunting them. It makes sense now, looking back, as where I've seen birds my whole life, you know, yeah. cranes, where they were. It was never was always stuff that was similar, you know, shallow, marshy environments where they there's water, but they're not, like you said, they're, but they're butt wet, you know. Never get wet. I mean, because you'll see, if you ever shoot one or get it wet in water, it's like a dove or a turkey. It turns into the ugliest damn thing you ever saw. Yep. Their feathers <laughs> wet mats down. There's yep. no oil in those feathers, you know, or, well, I shouldn't say that there's no oil. They've got some oil, obviously, but not like, not like a goose or a dove. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that is that is wild, but and they're they're long-lived bird. Yes. Yeah. So I heard something the other day saying that they won't even start breeding till they're about four, which is wild to even think how their their numbers keep increasing too. Um, when increasing popularity of hunting, an increasing number of cranes, and, and I mean I don't know, they only have two two offspring at a time max. They'll never have more than two. And even sometimes one of the babies will kill or push out the other chick out of the nest and right. where there's only one that makes it anyways. You know, it's kind of wild. Sometimes they'll have twins a lot of times, you know, but it's just crazy. They don't reproduce like rampant, like you would think. Not like canned geese. Not like, yeah, exactly. Um, it's fascinating to me. I wonder, you know, when we hunt them hard, it's not like we're shooting all of them. Obviously hunting, in any regards, hunting isn't. No, causing an issue. No, yeah, yeah. Not it's, at all. it's not minuscule. Disease will be on every aspect of <coughs> any animal. Right. Is, is 10 times more than hunting would ever be, right? So it's just fascinating to me that they, they're such a unique animal that hasn't changed. Um, they say that's the oldest unchanged bird fossil ever found on the planet. Is a saying it? Is a saying crane? Or a crane in general. Crane in general, yeah, okay. I mean, okay. the anatomy has been unchanged forever. It's a pretty crazy. It's a pretty spectacular design. I mean, right. that's a that's that bird's no joke. You know, I look at that beak, those long legs with those claws on their feet, and they use them. <laughs> the feet and the, the you know, yeah. Claws, yeah. You're watching them. We were video video the big group yesterday, and you see them. You see flapping while they're up on their you know they're kicking each other. Yeah. And and tearing each other up, and 
you guys run goggles on your dogs, mm-hmm. you'd have to. Yeah. You'd have to run goggles on dogs. I mean, I bet a dog would lose an eye like that. Right. You send them on a crane, whack. Yeah, and that's the thing too that's cool, unique about cranes. You know, they never give up. You know, almost every bird, if it's injured to a certain degree, you'll see a grader fight a dog or do this, but when you run up there, that grader usually stops fighting, right? But a crane never gives up, ever. You know, they, as long as their head works, they're gonna peck you. If their head doesn't work, they're gonna get you with the feet. It's wild. Whether they can stand or not, they fight till the end, you know? And it's, that's pretty cool about them, I think. You know? They're fierce. It's not like a coyote's gonna take down. Oh, I would kind of have his hands full. With <laughs> yeah, there's nothing you know out there that's gonna really get a healthy, full-grown crane. It's a pretty difficult target. Yeah, I you know I think maybe a lion or something, but who knows if a lion would even right. you know if, if a mountain lion would even try to mess with one. You know, they, they'd be hard to get close to first of all because they they're up high, they can see, they have phenomenal that, that phenomenal avian vision. Unbelievable. Oh yeah, and then on top of that. Just those natural defenses, I mean, they're a spectacular bird. Yeah. That first one I walked up to yesterday, I just, I didn't even touch it for a second. I was just like stood there like, wow. And I've been around these things my entire life. They're, everywhere I've lived, there's been cranes and lots of them, but I'd never killed one. I never had the opportunity to shoot one, to hunt one, shoot it, and then walk up to it and like pick it up. It was like forbidden fruit, man. I'm kind of like... When I gently pick it up, you know, on this big long neck. And the funny thing is, once you take away that neck, those wings, and those legs, I think it, I think a giant cannon is bigger. Yeah, I think you're right. I really do. I mean, I, I haven't been weighing them, but I'd say they weigh 10 to 12 pounds, you know, and you know there's those Canada's big, big graders that are 15 pounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Way breast, I, you know, I took that breast off, and I'm like, yeah, it's the size of a goose breast. Mm-hmm. That's. Yeah. You'd think it would be this massive bird, you know, but there's just... There's not a lot there. They're just long and skinny. Yeah. 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 Well, like Fight Club. Skinny guys fight till they're burger. Right? right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh. No, that is amazing, amazing bird, amazing hunting. Um, I would love it if I could reciprocate sometime and have you come up to Wyoming, even if it's for a fishing trip. You want to come up? Heck yeah. That would be fun. Well, that's the, you know, this is something you don't get to do, and that's something I don't get to do. Well, there we go. There <laughs> so, we go. Just pack it up in, in, yeah. in the off-season. But So, does the outfitting take up year-round time for you? You've got to have something else that you're kind of side hustle. Yeah, so between turkey season and with the add-on of Canada, all hunt, you know, ducks. We do dove season, too. So, September to February 1st, roughly. And then we also do turkey season, but then the rest of the year I'm an independent insurance adjuster. Okay. Um, which is, you know, contract insurance adjuster. Um, so in Oklahoma we have tornado season, everyone knows about hells, storms, and all that kind of comes in a certain time period, typically. And then the winters are usually slower. So it really works out perfect. Okay. And, uh, you know, I have my brother fill in if I get work this time of year. Uh, my brother or someone else will fill in for me. We're all independent, so you can kind of pass, it, pass the word around a little That's cool that you found something that just like fits into the hunting. Right? You know, the hunting <laughs> setup. It, yeah, it really is amazing. You know, and that's, that's another thing that I'm very grateful for is that the opportunity to do that creates the opportunity to, to 
go harder at the outfitting thing. Sure. Um, you know, so I'm not fighting against my career. You know, they, yeah. they worked with it. Which a lot of people would be yeah, right. looking for some way to do both and yeah. I, I was just telling you, I, I still do a little fraction of fly fishing guiding and it's exactly what you just said. It's kind of a fight because I work 360, you know, not 365, but I work year round when I was a te when I was an educator and all summer and guiding the summertime. It was perfect. It was the perfect yeah. gig, you know, excuse me for a second. Stupid cold. But now, you know, it's like the outfitter will call me like, hey, can you guide these dates? And he knows that in, it's got to be like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing yeah. or it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it's fine. It's not my primary source of income anyway, but to be, for you to be able to fit that in, and I think... That dovetails into what we were talking about with the guys yesterday. Well, man, how did you even do this? How did you start to do this? You know, and Gage's story is fascinating. The stuff running, being gone on the weekends in high school when parents didn't even know where he was. And he was out selling product, not, not that kind of sales. He was out selling, you know, hunting products right. for hunting companies. Yeah, And that just, that was kind of how he got his start and figured out this is what I love to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this work. I'm gonna make this happen. And you guys are killing it. Yeah. And that's that's also, I mean, having good guys, and everyone always says that, but you know, I'm pretty anal and selective with who I kind of try to have come help and, and, and that kind of stuff. And I don't I don't know how to really word it, you know, but I'm trying to get guys that want to do it for a long time. And are more friends because um, that helps keep the unique experience I try to provide. You know, if, if you look at it like other businesses, you know, well, you just need guys to to come work at the end of the day. And, and if you look at it like a normal business, you want guys to come work for the least amount of money, and that's what you apply to a business or what you've learned to apply a business in school. But with this, you know, you need guys that are outgoing, um, presentable. Um, that aren't going to lose their head when, you know, crazy sh shit happens. I mean, we, you know, it's not easy. You're, <laughs> you got flat tires, you got trucks breaking down, you got clients, you know, driving through people's hot fences, you know. It's just it's constant stuff, you know, and, and, you, and lack of sleep and, and all the above, you know. So you need some of the level head and, and all that too. And so I try to be selective where... You have guys that are personable that are going to create relationships with the clients instead of making it like a Walmart style of a hunting operation, which you barely know your guy. You don't talk to him. You meet me at the gate. Give me your money. Here's your birds. Goodbye. Right. You know, we're trying right. to make a, it says it, you know, my Instagram feed and whatever, you know, my little quote is, you know, we provide a personal waterfowl experience. And that's what I'm, that's what I mean by that. It's personal build relationship, friendship, it's not just a, you know, I said Walmart style guide service. Well, we were able to watch, you, you guys, right now you had a crew come in last night that comes in every year, you've mm -hmm. been here for quite a while, and they were so excited to see you guys. They jumped out of their rigs and 
you guys yeah. were, you know, hey man, it's been so long, and you're giving you hugs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that speaks volumes for the type of operation that you're running here. You know, it's not just that your guides, but the guides that you're bringing in interact that way with those clients. And I think that those clients were as excited to see some of your guides as they were to see you. Yeah, right. You know. That's, that's perfect. And I, in, so, so do you, if somebody wants to come here and hunt, when do they, when do they got to contact you? Because I would imagine you're, you're probably starting to fill up for next year already. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, people, a lot of people, I had to turn guys down trying to book for like 2024. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I want to have to remember <laughs> I, that. Yeah. I got to remember that. I'm still a hunting guy. I don't think that far in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but... But, uh, you know, so I, right when season's over, the guys that have been coming get, get first pick at their dates that they've had year to year to year, really. And then, but basically, as soon as season's over, I'll start booking again. So, and we're typically full by the end of June as wow. far as the lodging goes. Um, and I, you know, I book my lodge, and then, we, you know, we try to run a secondary rig a lot of times, um, bird So it's kind of what I call day hunters, maybe the local guys from Oklahoma City or Tulsa that are just driving up for the morning. Sure. Um, so we have the lodge crew, which will be taken care of, and, and you know, ideally they're doing their thing, and then if we have another rig, taking out day hunters or guys staying in hotels um, and try to keep it separated. I forgot the point I was going to make with that. What was the question? Just It was just about booking, you know, yeah, when, yeah. when guys should be looking okay, to Okay, so yeah, so the lodge will be full with the meals and everything midsummer, And then, you know, all the way up until the start of season, end of, end of summer, that secondary rig will be full. By then. So it wow. kind of depends what you're after. Yeah, so... Do it now. Yep. <laughs> if, you're, right. if this is something you're interested in, do, do it, it now. now get, with, get with your boys and uh, get them convinced, pick some dates, and let me know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I would totally come here. And In fact, I was talking to my dad last night on the phone. He's never killed Crane either. And he's like, what do you think? And I said, well, it could come here, but it need to be probably November mm-hmm. to be, you know, peak peak crane hunting yeah like i said what we've done the last couple of days has been fun but it's tough you know it's it's tough and you, you lay in there this morning watching those birds just you know and they're not even really looking they're they're looking but yeah well i could tell it wasn't you know, like we had birds set up come gliding in and then flare and flare exactly. they were just at this time of the season, I tell everyone, I swear them damn cranes know it's a decoy. They aren't seeing the hide at this point. They are coming over the field, and they are just like, those are decoys. I mean, I can't think of anything else because they aren't flaring hard. They just stay 200 yards above the decoys. and you Float know, around. You can, you can keep changing the, the hide, making it better and better to go out of your way. You could... You couldn't even see her hide today when you're standing right next to it. No. You know, so I know that wasn't the issue. It's just wild, you know, how difficult these birds get and how, you know, they play follow the leader worse than any bird I've ever seen. If there is a bird within a mile landing, like a set of cranes, you know, every time, every crane in the air will go there. Like they just, but you know, if you can, if you can catch them this time of year where there's, you get a lone flock and they aren't watching others land, that's the ones you can get to play. 
but other than that, they are just calling each other. And then, you know, if you shoot into some at the front of that line, they're going to go to the field next year, or two fields over, and then half your everything hunt, half your hunt's going to follow every other. Yeah, one. and that it's crazy. We <laughs> we had birds do that to us yesterday. That we did have one set that I thought, oh, this is going to be good. There was probably thirty birds, maybe forty birds, and they were low. I mean, low and just gliding. And they're coming right at us, and I thought, oh, this is, here we go. We're going to crush them. And 150 yards out, they flared hard. And I'm sure they saw, probably saw us. Our hide was really, we did the best we could yesterday, but no wind, high sun. Right. It was hard. Yeah, it and y'all were looking into the sun, too. Yeah, just the kind of the way we had to set it up. But anyway, it was, it was super cool. But, oh, man. Well, I have, I have the... Final question that I have, that I, I try to remember to ask everybody, so I don't always remember. If you could only hunt, if you could only hunt one bird, one way, the rest of your life, what's it going to be? Mm. Well, I would definitely probably say ducks, and I say ducks as in, you know, I don't really care if it's a mallard. Mallard, pintail, widgeon are all in the same category to me. You know, I love all three of those birds. But those in uh, our managed wetland, shallow water, not even sheet water, you know, I like like 16 inch deep water, sure, uh, skinny water, whatever you want to call it, flooded. And we, we do a little wetland where we flood millet or something, and, you know, and so knowing we manage the land and then shooting these piles of puddle ducks on that small water, whether we're shooting, we shoot 12 of them or 40 of them, you know. Right. I love that. But I'm starting here being an Enid in northern Oklahoma, I'm starting to really get get a thing for the lesser geese, you know. It's extremely rewarding to to, to land these lesser geese and, and really pile them up with guys and watch them work and, and all that. You know, it's a special deal when it works out. I hope we can see that tomorrow. Yeah. It, yeah. That was that's something that I've always wanted another thing, I've always wanted to do it. And I've shot lots of lesser geese, but it's pairs and they're mixed in with honkers or you know it's not like this we're we're driving around scouting last night with gage and he's like oh there's a big there's a bunch of geese and i'm looking on the horizon of course i'm used to looking for like a line of geese you know mm -hmm. and there's this wisp of smoke on the horizon that's like <laughs> undulating and i went those are geese yeah he's right. like yeah dude those are geese hell yeah Put the hammer down and go over there and got underneath them and, and got it underneath them and watched it spin down into this field. And I'm like, that's, I would kill to be under that spin right now. Yeah. That would be phenomenal. It's really special. I love it. I mean, it's, you know, National Geographic level. You know, same thing as the Duck North NATO or whatever. Right. Time, you know, but the, these geese, you just can't even hear yourself think and they're just dumping in there. Yeah, love it. Well, geese are loud, you know. When ducks do it, they're not. Right. They're quacking and they're kind of doing their thing, but they're not loud. Ducks aren't loud. You yeah. just hear the wings, In you your know. Face loud. Yeah, and geese are just another level. Yeah, and we have, you know, probably I haven't heard of any higher. We have the most liberal goose limit in the nation that I've ever heard of. You shoot eight of them. Eight Canadas, plus two specks, so ten dark geese. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Pretty wild. So a lot of people roll in the specs with their darts, you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And you see a lot of specs? 
Yeah, we. I don't know about a lot, but they're usually mixed in. You know, if you have, you know, an average goose hunt, whatever good goose hunt, you shoot 40 geese, 45 geese, five of them will be specks, four of them will be snows, and the rest are lesser cannabis. Well, <laughs> let's go do it tomorrow. That's yep. going to be awesome. But, dude, thank you for having us again. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. And if you guys are looking for a place to hunt cranes, ducks, geese, you need to look at the outfit in Oklahoma. Come out here, drink in the church, just don't bring the strippers. <laughs> That's right.